Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. Thank you to those who have taken the time to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps gain more exposure. So if you haven't, I would love if you could take the time, obviously if you're enjoying the podcast, if you could take the time, just a moment to rate, review or subscribe wherever you listen to your episodes. This week's episode is brought to you by Nook. For over 50 years, Nook has used the latest medical science to develop products that have helped over 50 million children and of course their parents. The invention of the original Nook teat inspired by Mother Nature to today's vast range of baby care products, each designed to make life that little bit easier for parents and children, means that Nook is a household name and a recent poll revealed they're soothed to be the most popular in Ireland. Nook products are constantly designed and developed with input from medical professionals, midwives and most importantly, the people who know more than anyone else about what a baby bottle needs to offer, mothers. With great products for learning to eat, a range of soothers for breastfed and bottle fed babies and household and care products. Nook has product solutions that make life easier for parents and children. So Nook products are available in Macaulay Pharmacy, McCabe's Pharmacy, Lloyd Pharmacy and selected Dunn stores and pharmacies nationwide. I will link their website and also their uh, Instagram handle on the show notes. In this week's episode, I chat to Claire and she talks me through her three pregnancies and two births. So in Claire's first pregnancy, she had an early pregnancy loss and she talks us through those details and the anxiety that carried into her second pregnancy. She then talks us through, we touch on the birth of her little boy, Sean, but we are primarily talking about her preparation for her second baby to come into the world. So I speak to her when she's in her second trimester. So she's done a lot of prep. Um, she's reading. She did hypnobirthing. She did. She's she, when I was speaking to Claire, she was enjoying uh, Pilates with Pam, and she was also using her gentle birth app to to help her go to sleep during the night. And we then catch up uh, just in June there recently and she talks me through her experience so she ended up having a me- an emergency c-section to bring her little boy Irene into the world and she did later have some complications as well so I will let her talk you through all of those details and I'm very grateful that she shared as much detail as she did because it's always beneficial to our listeners so enjoy this week's episode and I'll chat to you soon. Claire you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast if you'd like to just begin by giving us a little introduction to you and your family. Sure. Um, thanks for having me. I'm Claire and I'm married to Michal and we have one little boy, Sean, who is two and a half now. And we live in Nace and have done for the last five or six years. Um, I'm from Lucan originally, but uh, Nace, I think, for life now at this stage. <laughs> so I love having our pre and post baby conversation. So you're currently pregnant. So we're going to chat to you now about your pregnancy, how you feel, what your preferences are and then we're going to catch up after yeah. baby has arrived. So let's chat about your current pregnancy. Was it planned? Yes, it was. Like probably happened and again, really lucky. I know I've heard other people say this as well, that it happened so quickly. It was on the agenda, I suppose, for 2020. Um, I'm in the middle of a master's as well. So that was due to finish in August, um, no, sorry, April 2020. 
51. Um, so I thought, right, if I get pregnant in August, like, or get pregnant to be due in August, that'll be perfect timing. Um, so that would have maybe been about October I was aiming to get pregnant in. And then in June, I come off the pill and it, I barely had one period and I just got pregnant, which we were so, so lucky. But I actually only have one ovary as well and one fallopian tube, which um, I don't know, might give reassurance to some people that, you know, both times we've been really lucky, got pregnant first time. Well, no, maybe third time trying on Sean the first time. And unfortunately had a quite an early miscarriage on him and then got pregnant straight away the month after that. And his pregnancy was perfect. So yeah, really lucky this time around was not expecting it to happen as quickly as it did. And we were both in a bit of shock um, <laughs> when I found out that I was. But delighted, obviously. And yeah, just kind of put timelines out a little bit with my master's and stuff. But sure, that went on pause with COVID anyway. So, you know, these things happen. But yeah, no, overall, absolutely delighted and planned. And how did you feel throughout your first trimester? Um, first trimester, I was quite nervous, probably way more nervous than I was even on Sean, even after I'd had the early miscarriage the first time um, this time around. I don't know, like I only have the one tube and the one ovary since I was 18. And it never occurred to me on Sean that, you know, if I had an ectopic or anything, that that would, you know, make me infertile after that. So um. I think probably listening to some of these stories and one of my own friends had an ectopic and that I realised, God, if I lost that tube, that would be the end of it. So I was really nervous. So I did get an early scan um, in the coom actually this time. I'd gone private for an early one the last time, um, but I told my GP just about my concerns and she was like, yeah, no, that's fine. So I got into the EPU in the coom at about seven weeks and there was a heartbeat and it was in the right place. So that was kind of settled me for a little while, but physically felt okay, like a bit nauseous, same as on my first pregnancy. Probably threw up a little bit more this time around, but for me, it's always the evening time I get sick, not so much the daytime. It's like when I'm tired. Um, so yeah, when I was tired, I was a bit sick, but nothing that, you know, put me out of work or I didn't have to go on medication or anything like that. So I was lucky enough. Did you do anything different this time around in terms of like your your fitness or um, preparing physically for labour and birth? Um, last time again, I was probably a lot more fit and like I would have been in the gym anyway, I would have stayed going to the gym, I would have you know, I was taking my vitamins and all that kind of stuff and taking folic acid and I was doing that this time too, but definitely less fit this time around. So um, I'd stopped running on Sean at about eight weeks, I'd say, um, just out of nervousness, even though I am a physio and I know there's no reason why you shouldn't stop exercising if you were doing it before. But um, I was insistent this time I was going to keep running for longer, but just with lockdown and trying to mind him and work and everything, it just didn't happen. So definitely not um, as physically prepared, I suppose, it would have been the last time. But um, yeah, I just kept walking and just tried to mind myself as much as I can. I couldn't sleep as much as I could on Sean the first time around. You know, that first trimester, knackered, tired. Um, obviously, this time around, there's just no naps. There's no being a princess second time around. <laughs> Um, and then my husband was at home working from home with, uh, and Michelle was back in crash at that stage, but just about, yeah, it just felt like a constant fog pretty much for about 14 or 15 weeks and then kind of came out the other side of it. And now I'm 28 weeks and starting to go back into the <laughs> tiredness again. So I know you're attending Pilates with the gorgeous Pam so why did yeah. you decide to attend her classes? So of the first time around, I did in-person classes um, here in Nice with a physio that I knew. Um, she was really good and she was into women's health. And um, this time around, I really missed that. And I had done it from about 14 weeks on Sean. And I was probably getting to about 20 weeks, 22 weeks. The pelvic pain was getting worse and I knew I just needed to do something. So I think I just saw Pam on possibly your page or somebody on Instagram anyway had recommended her so and she I started to follow her um and I saw that she had some spaces coming up in her class so I said yeah I'd join up um and it's great I've done it every Wednesday for the last I think four or five weeks and I feel really good like I feel much stronger and I've much less pain in my pelvis and it's great that she does the breathing exercises at the end of it so you do all your strength work and then at the end she does a meditation I was just saying to her yesterday afterwards, it's the first class of not falling asleep. Um, I was saying to her, you know, if I fall asleep, please just kick me out of the class or something, because I think everyone, everyone else just sits up afterwards and they do pelvic floor exercises and J breathing. And then I'm like still snoring. 
<laughs> but at least she has me on mute. So. so have you started thinking about your birth preferences? Yeah. yeah, so I'm 28 weeks now and I suppose, oh yeah, I forgot to mention. So at my 20 week scan, they found um, I had a low lying placenta um, and it was previous. So I was completely covering my cervix and... I suppose yeah, that's another example of anxiety getting really bad. I just, instead of focusing on the 90% that move up, I was just like, oh, I'm going to be the 10% that not only doesn't move, but probably has some wild complication. And being in healthcare, sometimes we know a little bit too much or, you know, a little bit of knowledge is no good. Um, so I had myself really worked up about that. And my husband was like, why are you focusing on this like tiny percentage that something might go wrong and you might need a section? I was kind of very worried that I'd end up admitted with a bleed um, and because of the COVID restrictions that I wouldn't be able to see Sean and my husband. But um, thankfully, I actually got a, a scan accidentally in the post from the coom um, just for just before Christmas. And I, I kind of had an idea it was too early to check this the site or the location of it again because it can move up to 34 weeks, I think, or 36 weeks. But I went in and I said nothing and I just chanced my arm. And anyway, she told me it was the best Christmas present ever. <laughs> she told me it's moved right up the way up. So until that point, I was kind of too afraid to start planning, you know, like what type of birth I'd have. I was too afraid I was going to be really disappointed if I had to go for a section. And if I'd put all this effort and maybe, you know, money into doing a hypnobirthing course or something like that. So anyway, now I know it's moved um, I'm full steam ahead on the hypnobirthing. So um, I'll book in. I know there's a couple of people that come really highly recommended um, and all the classes are virtual now as well. So I'll try and Anya is one of them that I have on my list. Um, you're a midwife. So I'm hoping to get in with her in. She said she'll hopefully have some classes in January or February. So hopefully I'll get into that. Um, but yeah, I just kind of wasn't really happy. Like, you know, courses are expensive to pay for it if I was going to have to go for the section. So I'm kind of glad I can visualise now and kind of, um, what's that word, uh, manifest my birth that I want to have. So on Sean, I had that same plan. I was planning going in, having no interventions, no pain relief other than gas and air. Um, I I used to teach antenatal kind of positions and breathing and stuff in work um, with the midwives. And I just thought I knew it all. And if I could go back and apologize to all of those women that I taught, because obviously I had no experience of it in real life, what it felt like. Um, so, yeah, I totally went in probably a bit naive thinking I was just going to breathe the baby out and I didn't need to read anything or, you know, do much. I did have gentle birth the last time, but I didn't really actively engage with it. And just listen to it for meditation. So this time or I ended up then anyway, having an epidural and um, an episiotomy and like everything was fine. And I've recovered really well from it. There's been no issues, but I was disappointed myself afterwards. And it was something I got probably irrationally upset about having had an epidural afterwards. And again, I was saying maybe, oh, you know, I'm a physio. I shouldn't have had to do that. But Sean had meconium. Like there was a couple of things that was going on and I had to go on the syntocin to, to bring it on a bit and I ended up getting the epidural even though I'd said I didn't want it um, and I didn't cope very well I don't think with the pain but again maybe some of that was anxiety about what was going on with him even though he was fine Um so yeah I'm hoping this time to go into it a little bit more prepared with the hypnobirthing so I'm already reading the book um, the Catherine is it Grace book um the one that Anya uses um my friend loaned me that so I'm looking forward to doing a course in person with a bit of reading underneath my belt as well so hopefully that'll help but yeah I'd love to love to do it with now happy Gerald. <laughs> have you started chatting to Sean about his new brother or sister that's going to arrive in a couple of weeks yeah so Sean um we told him like I probably relatively early like probably too early for him to really get it and um, now a few of his friends in crash they're they have new siblings and um, so you know we did kind of introduce it early enough I can't remember exactly how far along maybe when I was four or five months about no earlier because I'm only six and a half now so yeah probably about four months we started to say would you like a baby brother or sister and he was like yeah whatever like I'm two I don't care <laughs> but um then once his little pal's sibling arrived I am um, I think she was July or he was July, um, he, then he kind of got it a little bit more. So now he's really funny. We don't know what we're having, but if you say to Sean, um, do you want a baby brother or sister? 
he always says sister um, and baby girl. So, like, you know, he's fairly consistent with that. I hope he's not disappointed if it's a boy. I think he's kind of getting it. We bought him a few books there over Christmas. Um, we just read one of them there for his bedtime story. And, you know, he's like, what's in, you know, where does the baby get the milk? So I need to get one of my friends has um, a book that has breastfeeding in it because I hope to breastfeed this time. Um, so I need to kind of explain that to him at some stage or maybe I don't I don't know we'll have to cross that bridge but at least a book with a picture and it might help um and then one of our friends got us my mummy's got a house in her tummy I think that's what it's called um which is actually a little disturbing I think as an adult reading it because <laughs> it says something about like the um mummy hasn't or it, the baby doesn't have much room to get out <laughs> like oh god I don't think he needs to to know that but yeah no we've been reading those type of books and I think he understands it in a very vague I know what a baby is I know a baby cries and there's a baby coming or he might walk around the sitting room and poke his own tummy out and say the baby's inside his belly which is really cute yeah so it is nice like he I think he's kind of kind of on on track with it but I'm sure once the baby arrives it'll be a whole different kettle of fish so you touched on breastfeeding there. Did you breastfeed Sean? I did, yeah. And again, probably went into that a bit naively, just thinking, oh, you know, I know people have problems. I won't be one of them. It'll be fine. Um, I went to the breastfeeding class in the coom the first time around on Sean and you had to fill a tick box. Do you know, um, have you done IVF and are you over 35 or have you got GD? But one of the things was, have your breasts changed size? And mine hadn't really, like I'd you know, put on a bit of weight everywhere. But for the most part, I hadn't noticed a massive change in my boobs. And most of my friends were like, you know, they got massive and they went up cup sizes and I was still wearing my own bras. So I did take that and I spoke to the lactation consultant afterwards in the coom. I got a one-on-one appointment and I had to show her my breasts and she examined me and she just said like, there there are some issues with um, my tissue. So it's not the size I think she said it's the shape is the issue so um I did the reason I don't have one ovary is because I had a massive cyst when I was 17 or 18 and it got no 16 um, and it got taken out during surgery and so they weren't sure whether maybe they didn't fully develop or you know they they just weren't really sure so she said it might cause a problem it might not but I, I think I was about 37 weeks at that stage I hadn't got any colostrum and my boobs hadn't changed much so she was like look this might be an issue so she encouraged me to pump from early days you know get a hospital grade pump but again I was just kind of like oh no like this will be fine I, I don't think I need to do any of that and I don't know like I my probably was probably my biggest issue after Sean the last time was the mixed messages I got from healthcare professionals. Um, all I'm sure very well meaning I am one myself. Um, but um, so the Domino girls came probably day two and three, and he was just dropping a little bit away, but they weren't worried. And then I got transferred to the public health nurse on day six, I think, or yeah, they did the heel prep day five, and then public health nurse day six and Sean just never slept he just cried and cried and cried I think he slept for like 20 minutes at a time ever that week which now I know he was just starving and I didn't know that because everyone kept telling me how great his latch was and so yeah day six I just had a massive breakdown everyone's talking about day two or three but for me it was day six and my friends had come over to see Sean and when they left I just couldn't stop crying so the PHN happened to ring to say she was on her way up and I couldn't even speak to her on the phone. And Michal had to take the phone off being like, please come up and help. Because like he was like, you know, he's no idea. Both of us are the, um, like, sorry, we're the only ones in our family that have kids. Like Sean was the first grandchild. Like we had no, like no experience either of us really of having a new baby. So we were, yeah, I was just really, really, really upset. And then the nurse came out and she was just a bit not dismissive but she just kind of was like oh for god's sake just go and get him a bottle like you know so we all did in fairness we like went straight to tesco and got you know some of that ready made stuff and so bit by bit we topped him up more and more one nurse would say there was no tongue tie another one would say it was severe tongue tie brought him to my gp who told me tongue tie is all over diagnosed these days and not to go doing anything about it and again in retrospect he definitely was I just I didn't know and I was getting so much conflicting information from people I really respect because I've worked with them before and really respect my GP um but yeah I just didn't know what to do so I cancelled I think again at the time 200 euro like I should have just paid it and gone to the 
the specialist but I was like oh god but that would buy a lot of formula you know if I don't go and so yeah in the end basically I combi fed him for three months and then I went to one of my best friend's hens and then that was kind of the end of that I went away for a night or two and um, so this time around I just feel like I'm way more like I've just a lot more knowledge I have done a lot more reading I've spoken to a lot more you know the board certified lactation consultant um after I did speak to one after um Sean but I think I'd kind of gone too far I'd given up in my mind at that stage and was happy combination feeding so this time around I just plan to do what the first lady told me in the first place and that's you know express early and start pumping and drive my supply I'll get his tongue tie checked or her whatever I have I just I'll arm myself a little bit better with it this time so yeah that's what I plan on doing thank you for sharing you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, I look forward to talking to you afterwards to, <laughs> to see what actually happened. So I caught up with Claire after her little boy Rian's arrival. She had an emergency C-section and she talks us through all of those details surrounding that decision to bring him into the world as soon as possible, basically. Uh, she had a placental abruption. So she shares her experience there. And then she also, also talks us through the complications she suffered after his birth um, which was something that I've never heard of before so uh, an interesting insight but also an opportunity to hear someone really advocate for themselves as well so thank you Claire once again for sharing as much as you did I really appreciate your honesty. So Claire you are very welcome back to the podcast delighted to see we've a new little member this time. Thank you. Brian says hi. <laughs> yeah, hi. He's kind of He's waving. He's actually waving. He is. <laughs> yeah, cute. So will we just dive straight into your, so the final few weeks of your pregnancy, how you felt and uh, I suppose the preparation then the last few yeah, weeks. Yeah, so I think the last time I was talking to you, I was still, it's like 20 something weeks. I was still quite early. Yeah. And um, so I did the hypnobirthing course with Anya, which was great. Um, really enjoyed that. We picked a bad weekend for it because Sean, our older boy, was toilet training. Um, he was toilet training and it was kind of like hard to concentrate the two of us like you know because it was like running in and out to the toilet with him um, and at one stage you know like the arm rubbing exercise that you do um, yeah. oh no. <laughs> um, he was doing that on Sean and me at the same time <laughs> trying to get him to relax and go to the toilet and trying to relax me <laughs> for him everything so um yeah it was it was good crack but not I suppose as I'd hoped to be able to do it in person and um, but definitely got learned a few good bits out of that and um, really enjoyed it with her and felt set up to go and then the last few weeks I was feeling fine, like big, bigger than normal, but was still pretty mobile and was still able to carry Sean and, you know, had a few nice days out, um, getting closer and closer to due date and nothing stirring whatsoever. And I was still really high. So my GP had sent me into the coom just to get a check from the doctor because the midwives were just kind of checking me and how much I was measuring and stuff. But the GP sent me in. They were happy enough to like second baby, you know, you'll engage a bit later or maybe not till you're even in labor, which I had known yeah. too, but my GP just seemed to be quite concerned about it. Um, that was fine. And then... I'd say three weeks before I was due, um, Sean got like one illness after another, after another. And it was really, really stressful. So like he'd ended up in Tala with like an infection in his eye and they thought they might have to give him antibiotics, IV, and he would be admitted for 10 days. And I think I was like 41 weeks at this stage. And I was like, no, I can't have one baby in hospital. And then like, you know, go to have another one. And would Michal be able to split himself between two because of COVID, you know, we couldn't have. And then he had query COVID actually as well. We had to get him tested at 40 weeks. And um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a mental coom for my 41 week checkup and was discussing induction dates. I was 41 plus one and we'd agreed. They didn't actually have induction. They normally only let you go 12 or 10 days in the coom. But they didn't have any dates on the Sunday, which would have been 10 or on the Monday, which would have been 11. So given that I'm relatively young and fit and healthy and I'd had one baby already that was overdue as well. They said they'd let me go till the Tuesday. So that was the yeah. So that was booked in for the Tuesday if I didn't go myself. But I was trying, you know, yourself all the different things. Mm. 
you know, walking and squatting. And I think, to be honest, with all the stress about Sean, I think my oxytocin was just like non-existent. Um, I was really trying them once we got the all clear from his IV antibiotic or that he was home. That I was like, right, I'll relax down, I'll go into labor. Just didn't happen. And um, I was eating dates to beat the band and drinking the raspberry leaf tea and yeah, like just keeping my feet and walking and squatting, but just nothing was happening. I still felt very high. I just didn't feel like his head had dropped at all. Well, I didn't know it was a him at the time. And um, so then on the Monday, we sent Sean off to his granny or his nan and granddad's and we packed up you know all excited on Monday and I was like look by the way we meet this baby on Tuesday I'd start to have a few little pains and I'd had pains on and off for the two weeks or three weeks prior but nothing that ever evolved it kind of would go away in the middle of the night um and I really thought when I got to 40 plus eight like he'd arrive because John was 40 plus eight and that came and passed and I was like oh this just it's not gonna happen so anyway I was dreading induction but I just figured look at this stage it was the only way he was coming so we went in on the Tuesday morning, I had to be in for half six. And when I went in and got put on the trace, the um, the midwife said to me, you know, you're getting contractions. Can you not feel them? And I could feel the tightening, but I just thought it was maybe Braxton Hicks. I didn't feel like there was any really regularity to them. Um, but she said, no, they're like, they're, they're spiking quite high on that trace, you know, like maybe you're kicking off yourself so it's really hopeful that I would just go without any more interventions at that stage and I was excited and they could see me all in the car sitting in the car park and you know it was just exciting I knew we were going to get to meet the baby and Sean was to stay in his nana's the Monday night and the Tuesday night and because I'd had him and home the next day I said look I'll see you on Wednesday and that was so yeah all morning I was waiting for the doctors to come and see me so they came at nine so I've been in since half six um I was trying to keep calm and read my book and like that, listen to the hypnobirthing tracks and the tracks from um, the day with Anya, which I had been listening to, you know, all the way through. And I'd listened to the ones that for induction and everything. And um, so when they came around, I was in, I was dilated enough, I think like a centimeter or two for them to just break my waters as induction rather than putting me on the drip. And, um, but I had to wait for a room in labor and delivery. And that took the day. So um I think visiting in there is at two so Michal did come into me he sat in the car park because he's like I know the minute I go home they'll tell you you can go into labor and I'll have to come back um so anyway at two o'clock he came up to visit me for like an hour and I was like look there's still nothing happening just go home get like a lunch get a rest because you know I'll probably go in at four or five and you'll need you might be up all night and you know so he said yeah he'd go home so it must have been like 10 past three <laughs> and they came in and they were like okay we're gonna bring you over now I was like okay so anyway he he wasn't far so he turned around and came back but he couldn't get parking then because he had left um, and the Coombe car park is like half closed at the moment so anyway he found on street parking and someone actually gave him a ticket and he came up and we got settled into oh I, I went in myself first into the room and it was the same room I think you had um Oliver in there the, the one with the pool and everything I knew yeah. I couldn't use it again because it'd been induced but um I would just t- took it as a really good sign. I was like, this is the same room Sean was born in. It's going to be so exciting. Going to, you know, meet our new baby in the same room. Um, and I met the midwife. I asked for the domino midwife if she was there and she was. Now I hadn't actually met her, but, you know, just like she knew all the girls that I knew and it was really nice and really chatty. And, you know, she was like, you know, second baby, you're so overdue. This is going to fly. You'll, you know, you'll definitely meet this baby tonight. And I think it was about four o'clock. They broke my waters and I had meconium again, which I had on Sean. Uh, so I wasn't worried by it like I knew how overdue this baby was that, you know, that was normal. And um, my contractions were ramping up then because I had a, like, you know, they had been starting to, to kick off themselves even before my waters were broken. But then they got really, really intense. Um, and I was using all my hypnobirthing and I had the tracks on in my ears and I got me how to do counter pressure. Oh, I'd also been going to Pam, you know, Pilates, Pilates Pam, oh, as yeah, I call her. Yeah. Um, so I'd been going to her for a long time and she was so good. She was sending me texts, you know, all week and giving give me positions to try and kick things off. <laughs> and I'd done one of her prep classes as well for positions of ease and labor and for your partner to help. So I actually couldn't go that night. I think Sean was sick, but she sent me the recording Um. And I like watched it with me all at home. So he was doing counter pressure on my back. And again, all my labor was on my back like it was with Sean. But I hadn't thought this baby was OP. But um, 
turns out I think he was um because <laughs> my body was working really hard to try and turn him so I was feeling all the pressure in my bum like I wanted to push already and um I was only three centimeters I think at this stage and then they were like oh maybe you know like maybe this could have ramped up really quickly so they did another exam and they's like look we could probably stretch it for but like you haven't really progressed that much um but just the pain in my back like my bum it wasn't like my back it was just so painful every time I got a contraction it was like all in my bum um so anyway his counter pressure was really helpful but then because his car parking ran out in the street he had to leave at like five or six and there was this lovely student midwife and he was like I have to go you know change my parking uh he could move into the car park then because it was empty and I was like you need to stay here and do whatever he was doing she was like what was he doing I was like I don't know just push just push on my back I thought you were going to say she went no 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 that probably would have been better but no she was like she was so good and I think at that stage as well like I really genuinely in my naivety thought I might be transitioning because I was throwing clothes off left right and center you know I was in the loo naked and she came into I think I asked her to check because there's a bit of blood in the toilet um, and she was like no it's just you know from your membranes or whatever but you know, she came in and I'd gone in in my nightdress. <laughs> she came in and I was completely stripped, like complaining of this pain in my bum. And she was like, oh, I need to get the other midwife. I think it was like one of her first shifts on, you know, so she's quite new. But anyway, no, it wasn't. Nothing was coming. Um, but yeah, his counter pressure was amazing. So I think I dealt with the labor, the contractions a lot better this time. But I did get to kind of three or four hours of it. And I was like, OK, I'm kind of done now. I really thought I'd have had this baby by now. Um, and they were talking then about putting me up on the drip because I wasn't progressing fast enough um, for their liking. And there was a few little dips, I think, in his heart rate. So because there was a few little dips, the consultant was called and she wanted to do the blood spot test first before he would be uh, or before they put me on the drip. And then they did that as lovely register. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Eric came around and he did it for me, and he's like, "Look, I'm really sorry to keep you in this position quite long, but..." Um, you know, we need to just double check sometimes the machine doesn't work or something. And of course, the machine didn't work. So we had to do it again. Um, I think at this stage I'd had the epidural. No, maybe I hadn't. Anyway, I'd asked for an epidural because I knew I was going up on the drip. And I was like, I can't do these. Like it was, it was getting really, really bad. And I was like, it's going to get worse if the drip goes up. And I, I don't think I've gotten much further than four centimetres at that stage. And I was just starting to panic a bit. And on Sean, once I got the epidural, I relaxed and I dilated really quickly. So I thought, look, I'll, I'll go for this again, even though I hadn't initially wanted it. 
So really nice anesthetist came in and did it really quickly. Um, but it didn't really work straight away. Um, it took a good while and I was still having to do my breathing. Um, I was finding like the up breath, whether I was meant to be doing it at that stage or not, I don't know, but it was really helpful. I was kind of visualizing the balloons going up and um Michal was counting them for like my breaths for or the time for me and he was like you know if you count 20 that's it your contractions are going to be done again because I was counting out loud I think when I had them um and whatever way he was looking at the screen he knew so he was really really good like he was really tuned in and really helped me through it um so yeah I still had to breathe through quite a lot of them and I was telling them it wasn't working so I think they topped it up a little bit and it did kick in and I got it a little while a couple of hours I think it went in at seven and Till about nine, I had a nice break of, you know, just relaxing. It wasn't too bad, but I still wasn't progressing. So they were changing me side to side. And you know what's funny? You know, they, they tell you to lie on your left side when you're pregnant. Um, I, for some reason, this pregnancy, always lay on my right. And I kept like beating myself up about it. And I try and get myself back onto my left again. Um, but I'd always wake up back on my right. And when they had the trace on, the baby didn't like me being on my left at all. It much preferred me being on the right so I just thought that was really funny that like obviously my body knew yeah, yeah. what it was meant to be doing so they were moving me side to side with the peanut ball that wasn't working and then they sat me up into you know the, the chair position um, and I was sitting there and they came around again and they were like look you know this really isn't isn't going anywhere so we're gonna have to examine you again just to see and where was it then it's all kind of blurred into one anyway I know the midwife called this junior reg back that had done my blood spot test and that had come back fine actually so they put me up on the drip um, and then she obviously saw something she didn't like and she called him back and he put me back into lying down and did me and did another exam and with that he just said look Claire there's been a little bit of blood this was at it um, must have been about 10 to 11 at this stage or 5 to 11 and he was like there's a little bit of blood that's come away here um you know it might be it, I don't really like the look of it like you know and he said your womb isn't relaxing in between contractions anymore so sorry I had started about nine o'clock to feel the contractions again um really 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 strong and I was like you know this shouldn't be this way because I have the epidural in and I was numb in my yeah. legs but I was feeling this really really bad pain so they topped me up a little bit again with the button but I was still I could still feel the contractions um so when he came back he just said look there's this blood here and it's not relaxing. So I think that's why I was still feeling them because they weren't relaxing in between at all. And thank God I had it because I can just imagine what the pain would have been like without it. Mm. Um, so he said, I'm going to call the senior reg and just see, you know, what this is. But he did, I heard him say to the midwife, I think it's a placental abruption. And I, I don't know, did he mean for me to hear or he probably didn't realise that I knew what that was. But I suppose between being in a medical background um and also I was reading I don't know if you've read Adam Kay this is gonna hurt um it's a book about a, a registrar in the UK and he was an odds and guy reg and it's really funny it's like he's a, he's a comedian now he's on like channel four and stuff but it's a really funny book he tells hilarious stories and like as a healthcare professional I found this really funny but in the last chapter and there's no warning before it there's a lady in it that has a placental abruption um, and her baby dies and she is, it, it doesn't tell you what happens to her in the end, but it's it's basically left hanging. She's really critically ill in ICU anyway. And that's why he's given up his career because he just, he found it really traumatic. He was the the registrar that delivered, the senior registrar that delivered the baby. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. God, I didn't know that. What's his name again, Adam? Um, yeah so he's a he's a you can look him up on Instagram he's a comedian like and he's yeah. written kind of kids books and stuff now about anatomy um, and I'm sure a lot of the stories he's told in the book for it laughs are exaggerated but basically it just kind yeah. of the last chapter segues into this really serious incident that happens so I had read it on Sean's pregnancy and like I have pictures of me laughing my head off I think that's actually what put me into labor on him because it was just so like it was hilariously funny so I thought like that's all I remembered from that pregnancy so I got it again and I, I thought it would like make me laugh and it did and then I got to that last chapter like literally you know a week before I'd gone in to have a baby and then like god I forgot that happened and like that's such a rare thing that never happens to anybody um and I've since obviously heard your um podcast with mm. um what was her name Kim no Kirsty yeah um so like you know it is really rare and because when I saw you had it up on your podcast, I was like, how, how did she know that? Because, um, you know, we'd done our pre-interview. I was like, 
hey, she's putting up her post interview and I, like, I haven't even spoken to her yet. She doesn't know that's happened. Oh. <laughs> and then I realized that wasn't me, it was somebody else. So yeah, I knew it was really, really rare. Um, yeah. So I just, like, you know, I, I read the book again the week before I went in and I just thought, gosh, that's awful that that could happen. But, you know, it's so rare. And um, so when he said it, like, that's, I suppose, what my first thought went to was like, okay, the baby's not going to live and I'm going to be really, really sick. So I kind of looked at Michal and I was like, look, things are going to get serious really quickly. Um, you know, if I have to go to ICU or anything like just, you know, make sure or the, make sure the baby gets formula. Because I had said, obviously, I wanted to breastfeed. And he was like, what? Like, what's going on? And I was like, you know, I might be put under for general anesthetic for this. Like, you know, this is really serious. And he was like, OK, I, I think he just was like, you know, you see people going for sections all the time and. But I'd heard the registrar on the phone saying it was a category one section. So I knew that was like the most serious one. Um, so they were. You had just you heard a lot of things in the background. You yeah. Would have been, and like, that's the thing. I think if I wasn't yeah. medical or I didn't know what was going on, I wouldn't have realized how serious it was. And maybe that would have been better um, because I did panic. Like I went from being mm. like, I don't want a section to, oh, my God, just get this baby out of me now. Like and make sure we're both OK. And it was so scary like I, I don't know was I crying at that stage but I was definitely panicking and I was kind of barking orders at him and like they were so kind like the staff were amazing like they just like obviously they, they train for it and they know what they're doing but it just everything happened so fast like I was getting that drink you have to drink something before you have a c-section and it tastes like licorice and I remember the nurse manager just being there just saying like you, you have to knock this back like the shot she's like just you know it doesn't taste nice but and they were pulling off my clothes and giving me a gown and I just like they're trying to get me to sign you know consent and I was like just take my verbal consent just please don't let this delay anything just you know get me down there but I was kind of signing things as I went um I do remember the lift I remember having to go on a lift being like why do I have to go on a lift like why can't this theater just be like right next door um and try not to panic you know the senior registrar had come down and said look this is only a maybe we're not 100% sure but we'll go to theater and we'll look we'll do another exam um, and if it's not still bleeding or we don't think it's an abruption, you know, we'll just stay in theatre and maybe do a forceps or, you know, an assisted delivery. But you're still, I think I was five or six centimetres at that stage. Like I wasn't close enough to, you know, push the baby. So she just said, look, we'll see what we find when we get down there. But like, don't panic or, you know, it's going to be OK. He's like, I, and the other guy was just like, we're not at a running stage. We're not running with the bed just yet. You know, it, it's OK. So I had calmed maybe slightly at that stage. Now, maybe I Michal might say differently um but they got into theatre and um they topped up my epidural on the way and I'd never been so grateful at that point to have had the epidural because if I hadn't it would have been a general anesthetic and um, so they top that up and then they're spraying you with this cold spray being like can you feel this and I'm like just hurry up and get it done but at the same time I don't want to feel obviously being quite open either and um, so no like I couldn't feel anything so they it felt like it was just seconds and I could hear a cry like I think Michal just barely made it to my head because he had to go off and you know wait for me to be prepped for surgery before they'd let him in so it did feel like only seconds he was back at my head before um, we heard this cry and like obviously it was great and all I could hear was like laughter from the other side of the curtain being like this is a huge baby boy um, mm. And then Michal said to me, oh, gosh, he's just so like Sean, you know, he, he's just another Sean. But I had my glasses off and I'm really blind, so I couldn't see anything. I think they said to me first, can you see what you've had? And I was like, no, I can't see anything. <laughs> Bless him, his nether regions are pretty much my face and I still couldn't see them. Um, so, yeah, that was so we had a boy. We knew that. And like you think they shed it. He was like 10 pounds, eight yeah, oh, so good. Michal heard ten pound four somewhere. So I think that's what the official text went around. It was ten pound four, but he was ten pound eight, and he was fine. He was screaming, and he had like you know his apgars are fine, um, and so he went off with Michal then to another room, um, and then I got really upset, and I was kind of, you know, I was saying things like you know, am I going to die, and am I going to be okay, and. The consultant came down at one stage and like she hadn't been there for the start of the surgery and she came down and she came to my head and she said, look, Claire, if you were that unwell, I wouldn't be here watching the registrars do your surgery. You know, I would be doing it myself. Mm-hmm. So that kind of did reassure me a bit. But with the epidural, like you kind of get the shakes. So I was like violently shivering and shaking and like my teeth are rattling. Like, I couldn't stop them. Like, um, and I kept saying to the anesthetist, oh, my God, is this normal? Or am I going into like shocks? I've lost a lot of blood. 
And he said, no, no, that's just from the epidural. It's, it's just from the epidural. So he was himself and the other anaesthetist, they were just like heroes. They just kept talking to me, kept talking rubbish. I just, I don't even know what I was saying to them. I remember we were talking about how blind we were. It was like a competition. <laughs> like my glasses are minus this, your glasses are minus that. But they... Jesus, you don't want them to no, be blind. His glasses, it was fine. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, they were just so kind. Like they just knew how scared I was. And obviously they mm. had a job to do, but they just, because Michal was gone with, with three in at this stage. And yeah, they just kept me me talking and just kept me calm. And they obviously had to then go off and do their own job. Um, so at one stage, because I think it was about an hour, I was in surgery afterwards with them fixing me up. And I just didn't want to hear what they were saying because like I knew there was maybe a risk of having a hysterectomy or you know, lots and lots of blood loss or, you know, lots of different things that could go wrong. And I just was like, I'm awake for this surgery. And this, like, I couldn't feel anything. Well, I could feel pressure and I could feel them tugging. That wasn't distressing me. It was just more that I could hear them. And I could hear the consultant say to the reg that called it, you know, oh my God, you did like, that was the, the, like a really good call that you made, you know. And I suppose like, obviously it was, he, he did a great job and I was delighted he did a good job, but I just didn't want to hear that much praise because it was nearly like if it wasn't him maybe somebody else wouldn't have picked it up and um, mm. so you know I was really grateful but I just I just didn't want to hear about what they were doing in surgery so I just when they had left me I started to sing so I'd say they probably thought I was completely crazy but I was singing happy birthday <laughs> I kept singing happy birthday dear Reen. happy birthday to you and I know okay. like it's just <laughs> it's mad but I just had to like concentrate and you know I used my hypnobirthing there an awful lot too. And I don't know, was it Anya's class or was it the hypnobirthing or the gentle birth app? But I had this mantra of like, breathe in courage, breathe out fear. And that's all I kept saying over and over again. It was like in my head, it's like, breathe in courage, breathe out fear. And I knew if I kept breathing, you know, I'd be okay and I could breathe. Mm. And I suppose as well, the downside of having worked in an ICU and knowing what the machines say, like, you know, I could see my blood pressure. When they put my glasses back on, I did ask for them to put them back on because I felt really disoriented without them. Um, and I could see, you know, my blood pressure was really, really low and I have low blood pressure anyway, but you know, that was freaking me out and I just could hear the beeps and the alarms and definitely didn't help knowing a little bit and having, you know, I've been in, in theater to see hip operations and things. So, you know, you just know the noises and, and the sounds and the smells and it just was weird being awake and, and knowing it was you that they were working on. Um, so anyway, I got back then. So after about an hour because he was born at five past 11. So he was out nine minutes from when the doctor saw the blood, which I just think was amazing. Like I thought after they said to me, oh, it must have been about 20 minutes, was he? And he's like, oh, it might have been a bit quicker than that. And then when I went through my notes with the consultant, she said, no, it was nine minutes, which I just think is amazing. It's incredible yeah. how quick they Well, they have to. And, yeah. And, and like, it, yeah. they were just yeah. such a well-oiled team, like from the midwife in the delivery room, like, and she was really young as well. Like, you know, I had relatively young people looking after me and they just knew exactly what they're doing and they just all worked really really well together Um, the scrub nurses like everybody that I came in contact with I just literally hadn't got a complaint and I suppose some of my fears afterwards were like you know you go through the what ifs and like what if that exact team hadn't been on because I just felt like they yeah. all worked all it took was for one person to not do their job properly and things could have been very different but they were just amazing they were all so good um, and so after about an hour, I was stitched up and everything and ready to go, but just they were they hadn't got a HDU bed ready. I had to go to the high dependency unit and they didn't have one ready. So I was sitting waiting and I just started to get upset then. Like I think the shock had passed and I was like sobbing and I was like, I just want to see my baby. I haven't really seen him yet. And Michal brought him in. I'm gonna get tearful now. Um Michal brought him in and I could see Michal had been crying too. And I was just like, God, this is just so surreal like you know like I don't think he cried on Sean maybe he did like you know a little bit later but it was all just out of love and emotion like you know happy emotions but I'd say this was just pure shock and fear and yeah it just kind of hit me then at that stage like what had happened I think the shakes then got worse from the epidural and I was just like can someone please stop the shaking like I just was violently shaking on the bed I felt like I was nearly having a seizure I knew I wasn't but like they put on like a like a it's called a bear hugger it's like this you know blanket like that they put on people when they've hypothermia and I said to them I was like you know I'm not actually cold so like yeah like is that going to help and they were I think they were just throwing anything on me just to try and make me stop shaking 
it did pass eventually, but I think I shook for a long time afterwards. Um, so anyway, they let him back into theatre. So because the bed wasn't ready, they, they let the lads back into theatre. So I got to do skin to skin then an hour later. And I stood all like the, the monitor, you know, the ECG leads and stuff on me. So they took some of them off, which was lovely. Um, and let him yeah. be on my chest for a while. Um, I think then I got to hold him from then on. And they told me they had the bed ready and we went, we took a picture, actually, we took a selfie. And when I look at it now, I just feel a bit sick because I look so grey. Um, and like Michal's got red eyes. I've got red eyes. My mascara is like down my face. <laughs> but like we're happy. But it was just, you know, not the same yeah. as, as the first time. Um, so they got transferred in or we got transferred into HTU then. And like it was a lot of lines and, you know, I was just holding. I got to hold Rain even through the I think they let me hold him even when they transferred me onto the bed and. I did get him latched on. I said, look, I, I know with all the blood loss, I don't know if this is even going to be possible, but I, like, I just like to latch him. So he did latch straight away, like Sean, like no bother to him. Um, and he stayed on for a good while, but then I just felt so weak and so dizzy. And I was so afraid to tell them that I didn't feel well because I was afraid they'd take him away and I'd like never get him back again. But I just said this to Michal quietly. I was like, look, can you just take him? I don't feel great. So he took him and like, thankfully they didn't kick him out at all like he, he stayed until about four o'clock in the morning until he knew I was settled and um my bloods are okay and at that point they realized I had a lot of blood in my catheter so they said look that can be normal you know we might have just hit off your bladder when we were you know doing the, the surgery and it was such an emergency so you know we'll just keep an eye on it but it, it can be normal and it'll clear they weren't worried about it at that stage um and I think my hemoglobin had come back kind of okay I got two units sorry transfused in surgery yeah I got two units um I think they were like what Kirsty talked about that um disseminated DIC thing it's like a clotting problem that happens so they want to stay on top of that when you have a placental abruption and when they opened me up they said that there was a lot of clots in my womb and just all around so they wanted to make sure that didn't get any worse um so or you know that I hadn't lost too much so they they transfused me in surgery um so my hemoglobin when they tested it was actually was fine after surgery um so they were really happy with that but I still just felt really really weak now it was probably the shock of everything um so I stayed one night in HDU and they took rain for most of the night for me because I wouldn't have been able to pick him up or look after him like you know I was still really numb um and weak and I didn't really get much sleep so I sent him or they sent him home or I sent him home I don't know I just said he needs to go home to get some rest then I got transferred out like I was well enough the next day to go to the normal ward I was a bit nervous about it but my catheter kept draining blood still and then when I was on the ward the next or the second night um like I had Sean with me I was on a five-bed ward you know, I was kind of feeling relatively okay, like sore, obviously, from the section, but I was okay. I could pick him up and I was still trying to feed him and I was topping him up with bottles then. And um, then all of a sudden I felt like the urge to go to the toilet and I knew I shouldn't feel that need to eat with a catheter in. So I called the nurse and I was like, I shouldn't feel this. And she was like, oh yeah, actually nothing's come out in the last while. It looks like it's blocked. Um, so she took it out and told me to go to the toilet. And I could only pass a really small amount of urine and I really felt like I still needed to go, but it just wouldn't come out. It was just a really weird sensation. So anyway, they recatheterized me and there was like really big blood clots that came out then when they recatheterized me. Um, but anyway, it was fine. It like it, it, it flushed again and I was fine. Um, that was on the Wednesday night into Thursday. And then on Thursday morning, the consultant came around and just said, look, we're going to have a few specialists come to see you for the bladder and for a few different things. So, um, you know, we're after getting you a side room because really you've been through enough, you know, without having to be on this general ward as well. Um, so, yeah, that was really good. So I got into the private room and then the next few days. So on the when that was yeah, the Thursday morning, then my bloods came back that my hemoglobin had dropped again. So it's down at seven. So I had to get another unit of blood transfused um, on the ward in the room. And. And at this stage, were you feeling really like if your hemoglobin was that low, you must have really you know, felt I had, just like. Yeah, I had started to feel a little bit better. So I don't know. Like I felt awful up until then. So that was Thursday. He was born Tuesday night. I felt awful all day Wednesday. Started to perk up a little bit. So they said there might have been a bit of a lag, you know, with the bloods. That they might have been on their way back up anyway. But um, they gave me the other unit and waited to see. And I came back up with that. So they had prescribed me two units but I only needed to get one so I got three in total um so yeah I was 
but I hadn't had a shower, you know, by Friday morning. I was like, just yeah. cross. I was like, you know, I was probably being too hard on myself. Like I was expecting to recover like I had after a vaginal delivery. I was trying to get up and walk and like, you know, I could take two or three steps and it just felt like my stomach was falling apart and, you know, even just picking them up. I wasn't getting much sleep, obviously. Um, the midwives were angels. They'd take them for a couple of hours at night, but then they were like, to me, look, do you want to pump? So they might take them and feed them formula and then I'd like pump every three hours, but I wasn't getting a lot. And really, I just needed sleep more than anything else. But again, him being away from me, like I, I kind of couldn't relax and he wasn't near me then as well. So yeah, they were really good. Though. They used to take them for a few hours every night, but the bladder issue on Friday morning got really bad again. So I had been booked in. They wouldn't let me go home. They were trying to transfer me to James's because I had to have this specialist scan done on my bladder to see what the issue was because they couldn't work out. It wasn't a normal complication of a section, basically what was going on with my bladder and with all the clots. Um, so they wanted to send me to a specialist in James's and I was like, you know, what's going to happen? I can't leave Rain here. And they're like, no, you'll just leave him for a few hours and come back. But I was really distressed with the thought of leaving him. Um, but I didn't have to go in the end. Thankfully, they could do it in the coom. But that was scheduled for the Friday afternoon. It was basically a diastogram. They put dye into your bladder to see if there is a tear. So they were worried they'd torn or cut through my bladder by accident just because the surgery had been done so fast. Now they said that if normally they're worried about that in surgery, they put the dye in there and then and see if there's any leaks. But they hadn't been concerned about it at all, that my bladder looked fine in surgery. So they couldn't understand why it kept bleeding. So I was scheduled for that the Friday afternoon. And on Friday morning, I had the urge to pee again. And I was like, no, my bladder is my catheter is blocked again. Um, at this point, they had put in a different catheter, a wider one to see could they let the clots pass. Like It was so uncomfortable, like just the urge to go to the toilet and you can't go like even like, you know, if you really, really need to go and you like you're in the car or something and you're like, OK, well, I could go and I could wet myself, yeah. but I won't. I'll hold on to it. But like I wanted to wet myself like I was like, I will pee anywhere right now. But because it was blocked, I couldn't. And it was just so uncomfortable. So this bladder thing is building up, building up. And I was crying because I couldn't have him in and I was just fed up and I was sore. And I was like, please just let my husband come in today early. And they're like, no, he can't. I'm sorry. So the domino midwives were brilliant. They called in every morning to me even though I was still in the hospital and um, it was just this angel. And anytime she seemed to appear, I was having a bad day because every time she appeared, I was in tears. I say she thought I did nothing but cry. I could be fine for like 23 hours and she would call for the one hour and I'd be really upset. Um, so I was just really, really upset that morning and I was crying a lot. And this doctor came in. I kept asking them. I needed the doctor to check my bladder because this wasn't normal but they wouldn't drain it because they were worried that there was damage to it. And they wanted me to get the scan before they drain it. The scan was going to be for four more hours. And I was like, I've been drinking so much water to try and flush this through all night. I know even like half of this water hasn't even hit my bladder yet. And I'm already feeling like this. So I got really, really upset. And she had said at one point that, um, I was to relax and that was like a red rag to a bull and I was like no you need to listen to me and you need to relax and I shouted and roared and I think the nurse that was with me like she had seen me be like really nice the whole time I used to say thank you and please <laughs> um every time they called and she just was like oh my god like she was like this girl doesn't normally shout like this so like she's obviously really in distress so she was like look okay I will drain it but I'm just warning you that basically you know something could happen so now she found a way of draining it um, and she pulled off two and a half litres of fluid. Your bladder's meant to hold 500 millilitres. She put me up on this bladder drip then. So I had like a drip that went into the catheter or into my bladder, sorry. And then it, um, yeah, into the catheter and it flushed through the, the catheter continuously. So it never got blocked again. So she was amazing, but just I just didn't feel listened to at that point. Um, and it did take a lot of screaming and shouting for me to get what I wanted. Um, but she apologized afterwards. And, you know, I, like she came back to me an hour later and I was rational and calm again. And I was like, look, I'm sorry I had to shout, but like that needed to be done. No, thankfully, I've had no issues. It's all better. <laughs> 
So Tuesday, they told me I could go home and then I had to wait for the specialist and he didn't come to see me till 20 to 7 on the Tuesday evening. And I just was like so done. I hadn't slept all day because I was just hyper about going home. And uh, Michal didn't come in that day for visiting hours because I was like, look, actually, you can come and you can come in and collect me. So he came in to collect me with Rian. No, they were with Sean. Sorry, they weren't in obviously up to the ward, but the midwives brought me down um, and Rian down mm. in the in the thing, and it was lovely. The two of them were sitting in reception. They'd let them come into reception, um, and we had a lovely picture. The midwives took a picture for us, and even still now, like Rian's nine weeks now, and Sean still talks about who was the girl that pushed Rian down in the lift. Like you know, he remembers it all. Uh, and like he always says, mommy, I came to collect you in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So it's all lovely. Do you know, it, it was really nice in the end that they got to do it that way rather than Michal coming to pick me up and then having to go home. And, you know, he would have been at yeah. home with the grandparents and stuff. So that was our lovely trip home Tuesday evening. And then by the time I got home Tuesday night, um, I was just so overwhelmed. I was so tired. Um, there was all the excitement of Sean, you know, properly meeting Reen in her house and, you know, Reen had brought him a little present and then I went up to our bedroom and it really hit me then. And like I'm sitting here now, even like, you know, I had packed up that Tuesday morning thinking I was coming home the next day. And mm-hmm. here it was over a week later and um, we were coming home and that bloody book was sitting there. The this is going to hurt book was sitting face down on my bedside locker and I just remember I picked it up and I threw it across the room and I bawled crying and I was just like you know I just couldn't believe it at all happened like we were so grateful that we were both okay I was so grateful but it just wasn't the experience obviously that I was planning um, and it was just kind of a bit of post-traumatic stress I suppose so I had a good sob Tuesday night and I kind of just felt that I was never going to be normal again and I just thought oh my god like this isn't going to be good. I'm, I'm going to be so distressed over all this. But I decided I was going to go to bed for the night in the spare room. So I didn't pump or I didn't get up or anything. Um, I just fed him at I don't know, 10 o'clock or something and gave him to Michal. And I went down and I slept like seven hours or something straight. And I hadn't even done that one. You know, the last stages of pregnancy, yeah, yeah. you don't get that. And I did wake up like, you know, in the sweats, the postpartum sweats at one stage. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, you know, have I got a fever again or something? Am I going to have to go back into the hospital? But no, I think it was just that. Um, but instead of even getting up and get changed, I, like I was sopping wet. I didn't care. I just turned over and I went back to sleep because I just knew if I got up, I probably wouldn't go back to sleep again. So I think I had two nights of sleeps like that. And then I just felt like myself again. And that's really all I needed. I think I just needed to get home I needed to get a couple of nights good sleep and like have him look after me and we had like both of our parents are great supports taking Sean and you know Sean was back in crash even then and we got lovely days the Wednesday Thursday Friday at home you know with just the three of us because Sean was in crash and we got those nice days that we would have had on Sean where you know we just Mm -hmm. got to sit and look at him all day and it was just it was lovely and gradually day by day it got better and better and better and I've had a few wobbles you know where you kind of think you know you'd be looking at him and saying what if or you know mm-hmm. things could have been so different and like what happened to Kirsty, like you know things could have been way way different and I'm so grateful I was in hospital when it happened Um, they think basically what happened is that they, I was my body was trying to turn him so much that I just went into this kind of my womb just went into constant contraction and because the constant contraction then the, the placenta came away from the wall <laughs> So like, you know, it was just like nothing could have prevented. I had no risk factors, like I had no high blood pressure. I had no like, you know, clotting problems. I wasn't on aspirin. I don't smoke. Like I was relatively healthy. Um, so they have no reason that they, they couldn't. They sent away the placenta for histology and it came back normal. Like there was, you know, hadn't had COVID or anything like that. You know, it just was one of these things that was just really unfortunate. And I think a lot of the doctors would say coming into the room afterwards was, you know, God, you were so lucky. And then they'd say in the same breath, but you're actually really unlucky for it to happen in the first place. You know, it's such a small percentage of people that happens to, but I was lucky to be where I was when it happened um, and in the hospital. And, you know, he could, he was out so fast. And, and thankfully his, they tested his blood cord gases. Mm. So that would tell you if, you know, he had any oxygen deprivation or anything. And that was like 0.01 off. Like, so okay. it was out, but like minuscule. So they got him on time. And like I said, he's never had any issues. <laughs> he's flying it. He's thriving. He's doing so well. It was just me that had to take a bit of a hit. But um, look, I'm glad it was me and not him. Thank you for sharing your story. 
I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you are in a position to donate to the care kit, I would really appreciate that last push to get us to 1500 euro. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, I will leave a link on the website. Also on, it's on the Instagram page. A care kit is a little kit I'm providing to the hospitals just as a once off um, sending out a hundred kits to the hospitals that will have just basic toiletries for parents who have unexpected stays similar to what I did last month hence the reason for the idea so if you're looking for more details on what I'm talking about head over to the website and I'll fill you in there thank you to those that have we're so close to our target chat to you next week hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.